0: Thanks for joining us on the New Beginnings Podcast, where our goal is to help people connect with Christ. We hope you enjoy listening. Welcome, welcome, welcome. We are here on part one of a series called What Makes You Happy? Um, Did y'all feel like that last question, you were like, is this going to get inappropriate? Is somebody going to say something weird? And it didn't. We made it. So here's what I want you to do, because y'all didn't get to participate in the game. Take ten seconds and turn to your neighbor and tell them something that makes you happy. What is the number one thing that makes you happy? Oh, they're giving a kiss to each other. All right, tell your neighbor, tell your friend, tell your buddy, tell your seating companion. What makes you? Come on, I didn't see you tell anything to each other. What makes you happy? Say, being at church with you this morning, sweetness. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, hey, uh, this is it today. I'm going to tell you what makes you happy. Um, have you ever noticed that like a lot of people don't know what makes them happy? Or you, you just ride a happiness roller coaster sometimes. You're like, sometimes I'm happy. And then sometimes I'm sad. And then you're going to up and down depending on life circumstances. But you can't seem to like find happiness. So today I'm going to tell you what makes you happy. And just so you know too, uh, other people are trying to tell you what makes you happy. We call them advertisers and marketers, right? Have you ever noticed that? Like every every commercial, in essence, is trying to tell you, here's a product, here's a service, here's a thing that will make you happy. They are already trying to tell you what makes you happy. I'm going to tell you what makes you happy. Some of us don't know what makes us happy. Have you ever noticed that? Because we keep searching for happiness. And if you keep searching for happiness and you can't seem to consistently be happy, what that is an indicator of is that you don't fully know what makes you happy or... I would dare to say that most of us, we used to know what made us happy and we forgot it somewhere along the way. I'm going to tell you what makes you happy today. Let's pray before we begin. Father, we thank you, God, for the opportunity, God, to be in your presence, God, to be amongst your people, God, hearing your words. God, we pray that you would speak to us today and help us walk into this place different than the way we walked in, Lord. That is our prayer. In Jesus' name, we all said. Amen. Amen. So here, here's the thing that I've observed about happiness is that ultimately happiness is more about a who than a what. Does is that, is that make sense? Like most of us in life are chasing after what's to make us happy. And what we forgot in life is that really happiness is not about what. It's about a who. Does that make sense? Like, let, let, me, let me go back and remind you of what your childhood was like. Do you remember when you were a little kid, how like sometimes like your house was cool or your house was nice or you had a lot of nice things, but you always found yourself at like the other kid's house and their house wasn't even as nice as your house or they didn't even have as many nice things as as, as what you had, but you didn't go there because of what you went there because of who. And when you were a kid, as long as you had the right who's around you, you were typically a happy kid. My, my mom tells the story. My mom basically is, is, as she reflects on her childhood, she goes, you know, I didn't really know it, but we were poor. We were dead broke, but we didn't care. She goes, I grew up in the best neighborhood. All of us were like, uh, my house was surrounded by all these other houses with kids my age. And we just go out and play and play and play. And it was the great, and she had the greatest childhood because of who, even though she realizes now she never had any what's right and so it so happiness is more about a who than a what which basically proves this what makes you happy nothing no thing right no thing makes you happy because if you could get a thing that would make you happy we would just all go to the store and get our happy thing right and that would and you know know, this is to be true too think think about it like this how many of you like save up money or go buy that really nice new gadgety thing. And then when you get it, you're like, oh my gosh, this is so awesome. And you have temporary happiness. But then your happy thing gets old, right? Go back and think about the first maybe iPhone that you ever had. Remember how happy that made you? Now, if I took away your current phone and gave you that phone, you would actually be angry. At the exact, do y'all remember, go back, because all, all my old people in here, how many of y'all remember your first cell phone? Did anybody have the one with the carrying case thing? Anybody? Did anybody have the Zach Morris big giant? I didn't have those. I was a little bit too young. My first one was one of those Nextel ones. Remember with the chirpy things on it? And you could kind of walkie talkie people and the screen was only like that big and it was all gray, black and white. Nothing cool about it, but you could chirp people or you could just not, because there was a protocol that you were to chirp. And then wait for them but if you were really just wanting to mess with your friend, be like, hey, what are you doing right now? And so you anyway, and that made me happy. So, so that was my first phone. Now, if you if you brought me, and I was so happy, that was my very first how I many I had a beeper. Let's go even old school. How I me mean, I had a beeper. Yeah, and you all weren't drug dealers, you just had a beeper. And so um, but you're, you're, if I stuck a beeper and said, Hey, and remember how cool your beeper was? You're like, dang, I am a G. I'm you know. But if I gave you that now, so my my point is, is that there is no thing that will make you happy or we would just go buy that thing and then we would all be happy. So if you ever bought a thing that made you happy, but then that thing wore off, like the happiness wore off of it, you were never really happy to begin with. And that's just the way that it works. And so uh, this is my point. Happy what always leads to happy what else? Right? Well, I, I used to have this phone and now I need a. A newer phone, or I have this house, but I really want to live in that house. I drive this car, but I really want to drive that car. I'm married to this person, but you, anyway. So, so sometimes you're like, I'd like to trade in. <laughs> I'd like to trade in and get the newer model or something. So you, you have a happy what else mentality, which is part of the reason why you have this roller coaster happiness is because really, if you place your happiness on a bunch of what's, then what happens is, is that you just go up and down depending on how new or how great your what is. Does that make sense? So, so happy what always leads to happy what else. So again, happiness is more about a who than a what. And I'll prove it to you. So parents, raise your hand real quick. Your parent. You'll know this to be true. You are only as happy as your unhappiest kid. You ever notice that? If you're a parent and your kid is unhappy, you're what? You're unhappy. Yeah, yeah. Spouses. Spouses, you know this. Especially, especially guys, you know this. If your wife is unhappy, you are only as happy as your unhappiest wife. Which is a case against polygamy, isn't it? Because if you, if, if you really, because the Bible doesn't teach polygamy, by the way, they, 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 they did it out of necessity in the Old Testament. But the funny thing about polygamy in the Old Testament is everybody had terrible marriages who had more than one wife. That's the funny thing about polygamy. Because can you imagine, guys, you're like, I'm only as happy as my unhappiest wife. You would literally have to go from hut to hut or room to room or whatever. You're like, hey, okay, yeah, yeah. ah, so, so you're, uh, why? Your, your happiness is attached, your happiness is attached to your who's. It's not attached to your, to your what's. And so again, and this is, this is, this is another point that'll, that'll prove me right here. At the end of your life, you will have relational, not possessional regrets. Why? Because your happiness is not a part of a what, it's a part of a who. When you, I've been on people's deathbeds. As a pastor, that's one of those weird things you got to do. And I've done it several times. And I've never once, and I don't know if you have any weird stories. If you do, I'd say they're the exception. But on their deathbeds, I've never had a woman be like, Pastor, would you please bring me my shoes? If I could just say goodbye one more time. I've never had a guy say, Todd, will you wheel me out to my Camaro? I just... I just want to touch her one more time. I just... You have never... Bring me my stamp collection. Bring me my guns. Bring me my, you know, what you name it. My jewelry. Whatever it is. We, we don't get to the end of our life and have possessional regrets. What kind of regrets do we have? Relational regrets. We're thinking about our who's, not our what's. Because again, happiness is more about a who than about a what. Now, occasionally... Now, here, here's... Because there's like five of y'all that are doing this. And again, I know these things. So... There's about five of y'all that are doing this and like, Todd, that's not true. And usually it's a guy, four out of the five people telling me this is a guy right now. I don't need anyone. That's what you're telling me right now. Like, Todd, that's not true. I can be happy. I don't need anyone to be happy. Now, here's the problem with that statement. The, the problem with that statement is that if you believe that, one of two things is true. The first thing that's probably true is this, is you've never had relational lack. Okay, because I, I, I could see how a lot of people see that if you're saying that right now, what you don't know is, is that you've always been surrounded by people and you've always had good relationships and always had people around you. So you're just taking for granted the fact that you've always had people in your life that love you. I'm like this, just so you know, like I always I had mom and dad growing up. I never went through the divorce. I always had really cool friends. I just I just everywhere I go, I've always had that, you know, that old saying, if you can count, uh, you know, the great friends of your life on one hand, you've lived a really rich life. That's me Every every location i've always had a handful of just really great people and so i've got kids now and i've got a wife and i've got i'm I'm trying to get away from people to be honest and so (laughs) so you know i could i could easily say i don't need anybody to be happy well duh todd you've never not had people around you so now here's the other one though the other people that say this i would say are in a bit of denial if you really believe that you don't want or don't need anyone to be happy, then more than likely, if you look back into your track record and look at your past, you've been hurt by a lot of people. And so to shield yourself from any future hurt, you just keep people at a distance. You say, I don't need anybody, but you want somebody. And you say to yourself that you don't need anybody to be happy, but that's not true because ultimately we we, we could say it like this. When we can't get what we want, we tell ourselves that we don't really need it. That's our defense mechanism, isn't it? If we can't ever get, it, if we keep having relational failures in our life and eventually we feel like we can never get it, we just tell ourselves, well, since I don't really, you know, I don't need that. I don't. And we, so we push back, but the reality is, so again, let's review what makes you happy. Okay. So here's, here's what we're going to do. What, what makes you happy? Everybody say it. So for the rest of the day, if I say, what makes you happy? You say, and for the rest of the series, if I say, what makes you happy? You say, so what makes you happy? No thing. There's no thing I can get because my happiness is attached more to my who's maybe one or two or three or four who's it's attached to that and not my what are we tracking so far? Now, here's the thing that let's, let's keep digging down on this. So we've already determined that no thing makes me happy. But there is a there is a thing that all people have in common. And I say thing because it's I don't know how to say it until I tell you what the answer is. It's not a material thing. But there is a thing that when we look at people who are happy, every happy person basically has this in common. All happy people have a thing. And it's not really a thing because it's not material. It's almost like ethereal. It's ooey-gooey. It's how you feel. All happy people have peace. You ever notice that? Your peace and your happiness are always related. When you are not at peace... You are not happy when you're not happy. It's because you don't have any peace. And so my point is this, is that when you have peace in your heart, in your mind, that is actually what attaches. So you have a thing. It's just not a material thing. It's a thing called peace and happy people. Let's dig down. Happy people are at peace with themselves. Okay. When you find really, really happy people, when they lay their head on their pillow at night, they're at peace. There's no inner turmoil. There's no like warring within you. There's no like, cause, cause think about really, really insecure people are trying to be something that they're not. So there's this, this war within them. Does that make sense? Some people, some people have guilt from maybe past decisions, past regrets, past mistakes that they've made. And so there's this turmoil within them. If you ever have an experience, and if, I don't know if you're like this, because maybe you're like me. If you have an experience that you regret, occasionally it pops into your mind. It kind of flashes across your mind, and then you shudder a little bit. You're like, "I don't want to do that again." Or, "God, why did that happen?" Or, "Why did I ever do that?" Or whatever. And so, so what happens is, is when you have guilt in your life or shame in your life, you are at war with yourself, and you don't have peace. With yourself. But happy people have figured out. How do I. Because happy people are almost like this. Like I've learned how to make peace with myself. I've learned how to forgive myself. I'm now comfortable in my own skin. I'm not trying to be somebody that night. I'm just. I'm just at peace. Now here's the second thing. Happy people are not just at peace with themselves. They're actually at peace with others. This may be the one that we're most common and most familiar with. We're at peace with others. Happy people aren't in this incredible battle and conflict with other people. They don't live in anger. Right? They're not constantly yelling at the people in their lives or, or flipping off the people that cut them off in traffic. They're not constantly like at each other's throats with their spouse or they're not constantly in turmoil with their employees. No, they're just at peace. They figured out, how do I get along with other people? How do I forgive? How do I have patience? How do I let it go? That's not a big deal. How do I let stuff roll off me? They, well, I'll tell you this, they're not easily offended. And if they do, they let it go quickly. And, and and sometimes you're looking at, at these people and you're like, how in the world are you at peace? Have you ever gotten mad on somebody's behalf? Like they're not even offended, but you're offended for them because they ought to be offended. You're like, why aren't you more offended? <laughs> you ought to be angry. I know you're probably right. But yeah, I just, uh, you know, it's not a big deal. I don't want and you're like, how are they so at peace? And they're so they're happy. So here's so here's my observation. Most people that are happy, they definitely have these two. And most people that are happy actually have this third one too. Now, you don't have to. Sometimes I find happy people that just have the first two. But I believe to get maximum happiness, you actually need to be at peace with God. And for most people, that is a recognition that, you know what? There is something divine. There's a creator. There's a heavenly father. And I've made peace with God. There's something about life that is beyond this life. And I've made peace with God and who God is or what God's doing in my life. And I'm just at peace with God with god and if you do this what you find is is i get to be if you're at peace with others i'm at peace with myself am i at peace with god i'm incredibly happy so if you ever felt man i want to be happy in life go back and begin to check why am i at peace do i war within myself am i at peace with myself am i at peace with others do i have a bunch of relational conflict am i right and at peace with god because ultimately anything that robs you of your peace robs you of your happiness as soon as you get into conflict, as soon as you have turmoil within, anything that robs you of your peace of mind, your peace in your heart, again, that kind of ooey-gooey, ethereal, I don't even know how to quantify, you can't quantify peace. How's your peace today? It's a seven. You know, I don't, but anything, we know this, anything that robs us of our peace, it robs us of our happiness. Now, here's what people who follow Jesus, here's what they've discovered. Okay. Now, I'm not saying Christians because that has a big, broad term. Whether you grew up in church your whole life or you grew up Catholic or you grew up and your parents believed or you just... Well, I'm not talking about people that attend church. and stuff. I'm talking about people that are actually following Jesus. People that follow Jesus, what they've learned is this, is that peace with God paves the way to peace with others and actually equips you to make peace or makes us at peace with ourselves and equips us to make peace with others. So like you've got you to think about this. Most of the New Testament, if you go read it, it's about how well you get along with other people. Like I could just go quote, 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 quote. Most of the New Testament is Jesus teaching you or the apostles teaching you. How do you love other people? How do you get along with other people? And so again, if, if, if the, the idea behind following Jesus is so that you can be at peace with God. And being at peace with God actually equips me. Man, I, can, I can find peace because I'm forgiven. I don't carry the weight of my own sin and shame. So there's no, there's no inner turmoil. And then I figured out how to get along with other people. I have forgiveness. I have peace. I have patience. I have mercy for others. And so think about it like this. Jesus was asked this question because this proves, this proves my point. Jesus was once asked a question. Now, sometimes they asked him a bunch of questions and they were dumb. You know that whole thing about there's no such thing as a dumb question. That's not true. Sometimes there's dumb questions. But one time this guy asked him a really, really good question. And it was an attorney. So it says this lawyer comes to Jesus and he wants to ask him a question. And his question was, Jesus, out of all of the scriptures, what's the most important command? Do you remember that? There's a story. This guy comes to Jesus. As a matter of fact, let's read it. Matthew 22, verse 36. Teacher, what is the greatest commandment in the law? Everybody say "the the law. That makes sense why a lawyer is asking about Ugh. So now in the Old Testament, there's over 600 commands, right? A bunch of do this and don't do that. And thou shouts and thou shalt nots. And there's all this stuff over 600 commands in the Old Testament. And so they said out of everything that God's trying to teach us, what's the most important thing? Now, that sounds like a legitimate question. Let's see what Jesus replies. He says love. Everybody say love. love. He says love. To which I'm like, OK, wait a minute. That's not a command. That's like ooey gooey and. I love my wife and I love my kids and I love my friends. And I love, that's not really a command. Cause when you say command, you're like, Jesus, I need a thou shalt, or a thou shalt not. And it feels like there's a lot more thou shalt nots than thou shouts. So like, certainly like murder, like thou shalt not murder. That's got to be like, life is valuable. Don't kill people. That's got to be like big deal to you. Right? No, no, no. I, love. Everybody say love. love. So he says this, he goes, love the Lord, your God, with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mouth. What he's saying is this, is God loves you. I want you to love God back. Or or we can say it like this. God wants to make peace with you. You make peace with God. God's given love. Give love back. And so this is the idea of, you can remember, this this doesn't sound like do's and don'ts. This sounds like relationship, right? Love is a relational idea. It's not a, it doesn't sound like a law or a command in any traditional sense. But that's what Jesus said. He said the most important thing was love. And it's starting with love God. Now watch what he says here because he doubles down. Just like Jesus does. He always just gives more than you ask for. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. So he's saying like, oh, by the way, you can't separate this from the first one. This is like one in 1A. You can't do one without the other So it's like, I got to lump them together. This is so important. What's the most important thing to God? What's the most important command? What's the most important law? If you want to call it that, he goes, love. And it starts with you loving God or being at peace with God. And then watch this. I want you to love your neighbor. Everybody say others. Others. So what did I tell you earlier? I said, people who are happy have peace. They have peace with God. They have peace with others. And then he goes, love your neighbor as yourself, which means I got to love me. So that I can love other people so God wants to, so you're so Todd what you're saying is is that out of all of scripture the most important thing is to be at peace with God to be at peace with others and then to even be at peace with myself you're saying that's the most important thing I'm telling you that's what Jesus said which implication God cares about your happiness maybe not the way you define happiness with your list of what's that are sometimes cool but it, very quickly, we're off. God is so concerned about your happiness. God has designed you to be in relationship with him, to be in relationship with others, and to be, even be at peace with yourself. And he's designed this in such a way so that he wants you to be at peace so that you end up... Everybody say happy. Which means this, like, this is why you are on a happy quest. Have you ever thought about that? And we look at this normally and we look at it negatively. But I want you to know you were designed for it. you are on a happy quest and that's not necessarily a bad thing It's only bad when you go looking for it in all the wrong places God wants you to be happy because he's designed you again to be at peace with God to be at peace with others and to even be At peace with yourself. Now here's the deal. Now. This is this is my thought When I think of all the commands, I am normally thinking about rules That prevent my happiness Can I get a what, what, and an amen? Like, let's be real. Well, God, if that command wasn't there, I could go do it. And that would be most of us think that God is in the way of our happiness. Have you ever thought about like that? We're like, God, well, if I, if God wouldn't care, if God would let me do this or God would let me go do this. So, so here's the deal. God is not in the way of my happiness. Actually, God provides the way to happiness. Or we can say it like this to resist. God is to resist happiness. I'm telling you, it's counterintuitive because most of us, the reason why we lose our happiness, the reason why we go on the happiness roller coaster, the reason why is because we keep pursuing a whole bunch of what's not a bunch of who's. And we end up just so completely unsatisfied and unhappy at life. Now, here's the deal. I need to talk about something because I just told you what makes you happy, right? what makes you happy is peace. Particularly, peace with God, peace with others, and peace with yourself. Now, there's something else that steals your happiness. Okay, you're not going to like this. So, I feel like for a happy sermon, we're going to take a downer for a quick turn. But stay with me. This is really, really good. This is really because here's the deal. There is something that robs you of your happiness, and it's this ugly word we call sin. Okay, now here's the problem. Most of us have a uh, you know kind of an old school. Mentality about sin. If you grew up in church, sin was something that was ugly and mean and harsh and whatever. But here's the deal. When the New Testament writers are writing and they use the word sin, they actually define it a little bit differently the way we normally think about it. They would define it as, hey, it's just anything that misses the mark. That was the literal definition of a Greek word that they would have used for sin. It's just anything that misses the mark. Which begs the question, what's the mark? Well, apparently, based on what we already learned today, that the mark is... Sin would now be anything that disrupts my peace with God. Sin would be anything that disrupts my peace with others. And and sin would be anything that disrupts my peace with myself. Because even if you didn't know what the definition of sin was, you've seen it before. Right? You've been in a relationship and then things go bad. Somebody sinned. Right? Like somebody said something, did something, and then you're mad at their sin, so you sin. So like, well, here's my sin. Well, I'm gonna sin right back at you. Oh yeah, counter sin. You know, you just you just keep sinning at each other, and then you end up with these type of this this, this ugliness and this brokenness inside a relationship. And and we're all trying to figure out who sinned first and pointing the finger of whose sin is greater than other sins. But we just know what sin is like. We know what sin is like because ultimately, sin is the thing that destroys our peace. I, I need you to recognize this about God. You need to know this about our heavenly Father. He's a good father and he doesn't give arbitrary rules just to see if you're good or bad. Okay. Our heavenly father, for every command that is a do this, it's because he knows that if you do this, it'll create more peace between you and God, between you and others and you and yourself. And, and, and if there's a do not, like, hey, don't do this. Don't, don't do this. It's because he knows that if you do that, it's going to ultimately rob your peace somehow between you and yourself, you and others and you and God. And so the whole point of this idea of sin is that sin ultimately separates. You ever think about like that? That's what sin does. The the cause of sin, the result of sin is this, is that sin separates. Again, it separates you from others. That's why, again, when when, when they got mad, when you got mad, and then sinning started happening, it separated you. That relationship was never the same again, or it it took a long time to repair it. It separated you. Remember your friend, and y'all were so close, but then all of a sudden sin happened? What did it do? It separated. You made a decision... This is, again, when you think about it, all of our regrets in life are not possessional. They're relational. When we have deep regrets, it's because ultimately some sin entered in something negative, something evil, something against God's best entered in, and it messed things up. Separates you from God. You ever think about this? You ever wonder why God doesn't like sin? I want you to think about this. Um, Here's the deal. Whenever you sin against another human being, God is, is kind of upset with that. Does that make sense? It's the equivalent of you being really, really nice to me, and you really, really like me, so every time we're together, you're really cool, but then like you're mean to my kids. But we're cool, right, Todd? No. No, we're not. If you're nice to me, but then you treat my kids like garbage, we're not OK. So you need to know, like that's a part of the issue with sin and sin and God is because God loves His children, and every time you sin against another person, that, that God's God's upset. But guess what? When you sin against yourself, God's upset because God loves you. It's almost like saying, "You quit being mean to yourself, you know? <laughs> quit hurting yours. I love you. Quit hurting you. But I love them too, because you got to remember, like God and God just doesn't love Christians. Like get get over yourself." It's not like God just loved. Remember, remember John 3, 16 for God so loved everybody. So it's not about being mean to Christians or non-Christians or being nice to Christians or not. It's about humans because God loves everybody. This is about everybody. So, So the way you treat other people is so absolutely important to your heavenly father. And that's part of what separates you from God. And that in turn is what separates you from yourself. Again, there's this inner turmoil, there's this guilt, there's this shame, there's this regret, there's something, there's some duplicity. There's so, so anyway, sin separates. As a matter of fact, let me, I'll, I'll prove to this whole, like it separates you from yourself. Watch this. Have you ever said this phrase? If I ever, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. You fill in the blank. If I ever, I wouldn't be able to live with myself. But guess what? Um, sometimes we do fill in the blank. And then we live with that regret or we live with that shame or whatever. So we've separated. Sin has ultimately crept in and separated us from ourself. And so, you know, here's what James said. James has this incredible scripture, right? James chapter one, verse 15, the way he describes it is so brilliant. So Jesus has already described how you get happiness, right? Is that you get peace between you and God, between you and others and between you and yourself. That's how you go. But look at what James does too, because James, now this is kind of cool too. James is the, like the little brother of Jesus. That'd be kind of a cool title. You could probably play that card a few times. You know what I'm saying? Bump yourself at the front of the line. Get some perks. Um, James says this. He goes, then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. Now that sounds like pregnancy. There's conception. We'll leave that alone. And then there's birth, right? So we got some pregnant people up in here today. You know what I'm talking about? You had to conceive and then you, and then you birth. That's how sin works, apparently. So it starts off with, have you ever noticed how sin usually starts off relatively small? You're like, oh, that's just a baby sin. Look at this little guy. Look at her. She's so pretty, you know. And sin starts off fairly innocent. And sin starts off somewhat kind of cute or somewhat kind of small. But see, this is what James said. James says, yeah, well, you conceived it, meaning it probably started in your heart and in your mind. But then you did something or said something and you acted upon it. And now you've got a thing that you've got to live with, right? And in the beginning, it seems relatively innocent, relatively small. Have you ever noticed that like what started off as, as like a minor flaw, a minor mistake, an innocent moment, whatever? Okay. So so, watch what he says next, though. He goes, and sin, when it's full grown. I mean, that thing shaves now, right? That thing's still living in your basement and eats all your food. That thing that's grown, when it's grown, it gives birth to what? Death. So again, what we're seeing is, is that. Is that there's something that God's trying to protect you from? It's that which robs you of your peace. And this sin, although seemingly innocent, and it starts out kind of small and cute, it gets uglier and it gets older and it gets hairier and eventually it brings about death and it kills your peace. It kills the peace that you have in your heart, it kills the peace that you have with others. And this is ultimately the starting point to your happiness. So we'll close with this. Since happy, Is about a who and not about a not about a what. Since happy people are at peace with themselves, they're at peace with others and they're at peace with God. Since sin robs us of our peace, since Jesus valued and prioritized peace and God with God and others and ourselves, and here's what I know about you since you want to be happy, you should seriously consider becoming a follower of Jesus, not a Christian. I don't know what that means. It means a lot of different things to a lot of different people. Not a churchgoer. Mm -mm. A Jesus follower. Somebody who says, I'm going to pledge my life. I'm following. Wherever he leads, I will go. I am with Jesus. When he says to do it, I just go. When he says here, I say, yeah, I just, I'm giving him a check. And I'm leaving the amount empty. God, you do whatever you want. I'm going to become a Jesus follower. And if I do, I'll find my happiness. So if you care about these things, I want you to consider following Jesus. Again, not going to church, following Jesus. And if you do, you'll be happy that you did. And if you're not ready yet, then get back in here next week because I'll tell you the next step in the process of how you find happiness in your life. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. I know you want to be happy. That's kind of hardwired into you, I think. I think. I think God put it there. It's not an evil thing to want to be happy. Because God designed you to be at peace with him. Big question this morning. Are you at peace with God? Is there some kind of hidden sin? Have you ever noticed that's a hidden sin? It's a secret sin. It's something we, we're ashamed of. Something we're covering up. Is there something that you need to bring to your heavenly father? Is there just maybe for you this is the first step towards coming to God and saying, God, I need you in my life and I want you to forgive me and I want to be at peace with you. Today you can make it right. Is there somebody... Is there a relationship? Is there something that has robbed you of your peace? There's something going on between you and another person. Hey, guess what? The person that, that, that's robbed you of your peace, that relationship, that person could even have passed away already. But is there somebody that you need to forgive? Is there somebody that you need to let go? Is there somebody that you need to reach out to? Maybe it's a phone call that you need to make today so that you can make peace. If you do that, there's a high, high, high probability that you will find peace with yourself. And in doing so, you'll be happy. And so God, we come to you now and we ask for your help and we ask for your grace and we ask for your mercy. God, help us to follow you. Help us to put our faith and our trust in you. Lord, that is our prayer today. In Jesus' name. And we all said, amen. Yeah, can you give a Lord a big hand clap this morning? Thanks again for listening to the New Beginnings Podcast. For more information on New Beginnings Church, please visit us online at nbchurch.tv.